Hey, Laura, how you doing? Oh, no. Laura's not here. Oh, boy. Well, that's a little strange, considering her baby was due at the end of July, and she's not here now, which doesn't really match the plans we made. But I suppose that can be forgiven, because, surprise, surprise, Laura has had her first child. Uh, so, any of the listeners looking to hear from Laura today, I am sorry. But really, what you should be doing is joining me in a congratulations for her, that despite uh, an unexpected turn, uh, and the baby not being born on my birthday, uh, that everything is going well. Um, pair her... Uh, request. I won't be divulging a ton of information, um, except that it is a human. Um, it is a girl, uh, which we already talked about, but now I can confirm that uh, expectations in that particular department, R-E colon space sex, uh, were met. Um, and uh, as far as the name, uh, she didn't want me saying that, but I guess Tinder auto-generated, and I don't even know if I'm getting this right, I didn't know Tinder could do this, I guess Tinder auto-generated a baby name that uh, she and Charles were trying to figure out, so uh, I'll be referring to the baby as Banana, because that's the name, the auto-generated name that was suggested to her. Um, but she seems to be doing very well. Uh, what I'm going to be trying to do in the interim is as I talk to her and she gives me updates that she feels comfortable sharing, uh, I will try to bring those to the show and and, and put some of that stuff out there uh, so you guys can stay apprised to how she is actually doing, which uh, as of right now is doing pretty good, you know, hanging, hanging tight, being safe in the new uh, home, everything that we want to hear for a new mother. Um, as far as keeping stuff going, I mean, well, the, the here at Common Geeking Program Productions and how you doing, uh, our uh, maternity leave program is is pretty pretty generous, considering that we make no money and I have no negotiating leverage over Laura. So, uh, well, while this podcast has turned into the thing we all feared, a dude with no friends talking to himself. Um, I expect her absence to be about three months. Obviously, that is all very subject to how well she is. Um, but I am going to be trying to do the enviable job of keeping in close touch with her and passing along what fun tidbits uh, I may have to share. Um, I haven't been talking to her as much over the last week or so, which, you know, is probably to be expected, uh, but every once in a while, you know, I'll snap some screenshots of our texts or, or pictures that we send or anything, and I am going to be trying to put a little bit of effort into uh, an Instagram page that we have open, which is HousePod, H-O-W-S-P-O-D. Um, so I'm going to be trying to, while she's gone and while I only have these little little bits to verbally communicate with listeners, uh, put some stuff out there, stuff that might be a little cheery, a little a little nice reminder that everything's going smoothly, uh, fingies crossed, and, um, and 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 screenshots of our text messages, which is probably as close as we're gonna get to having a recorded conversation. Um, I think it's plenty of fun. Who knows if you will? But uh, I'll also be asking if she ever feels comfortable sharing pictures of anything. Uh, we'll we'll, we'll kind of see how it goes because again, I'm working very hard to uh, keep you informed but also respect her privacy. 
So uh, if you want to stay in touch with Laura, uh, uh, if you go to podfriend.pizza, which is our website, you can see some info and it has links to, to a bunch of this stuff. Um, but on Instagram, HousePod is where I'm going to start posting that stuff. I'm going to try posting at least like once a week or something. Um, but stay tuned in this feed here uh, for any additional stuff that I get to post uh, about uh, Laura or if she is able to poke her head in for a recording. Um, just scrolling through our conversation here. Yeah, it's really all just iMessage games and uh, Reddit posts and the occasional complaint about life. So I guess it's that, I mean, that's that's your one-hour episode in a nutshell. I think favorite thing that she sent me was, uh, here's a meme, uh, here's something from Reddit that she sent that, that really got me. And for, uh, we've definitely sung this on this podcast and on Common Geeking Program, uh, is on our Star Trek memes where uh, two pirates are saying, Yar, beware of the siren song, lad. Tis said to be a melody most sweet to men's ear. And then the siren mermaid on the rock is singing, It's been a long road getting from there to here. Uh, and then the pirate's like, looks like this is the end. That might not be that funny to any of you, but that is the infamous theme song to Star Trek Enterprise. Definitely a point of bonding for me and her. So that's kind of the tone of what these chats are. And the rest of this episode is not going to match that tone because, as you may recall, uh, I made a bit of a promise to Laura regarding how I might fill some of the content void while she is taking care of Baby Banana. So, uh, in quarantine, I have taken up the (laughs) um, arguably constructive hobby task of writing scripts for a proposed trilogy of films uh, to adapt The Silmarillion, the, quote, prequel to The Lord of the Rings, which is true in every sense, I think. Um, And I think the last update I gave Laura was that I was working on the last movie, which I've since finished and then went back and revised with a second draft. I think the first two movies for me to get through two drafts and like I'm going the 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 quality of those drafts is definitely you know up for debate but each of those took me about three weeks um and this last one took me like seven the the third one is so difficult and intricate and there's a lot of things to worry about there but I finished that and now that I have a really solid idea of the ending I was able to go back and now I'm working on the first script again um so for fear of potentially if anyone wants to make these movies for fear of me doing any work that I could eventually not be compensated for I'm not just going to straight read all three scripts out on the show uh I also thought I was going to have a whole extra month to be doing this project this pregnancy gift to my dear friend Laura Becker and baby banana and papa charles Ooh, she's gonna hate that I call him Papa Charles. It's oh, it's stuck. I'm doing it, Papa Charles. It is. Um, so I'm not just gonna be throwing out three whole movie scripts so that you know an executive could eventually say, hey, "Sure, write that shit down and put it on the blacklist." Let's just hang on to that and pay this piece of dumb shit no money. Um, not that that will happen. I might have written complete garbage, and I guess the few of you that listen will be able to do that. But uh, what I am going to read for you today 
it should only be a few minutes, 10 minutes maybe. Uh, this is the prologue to the first film, which I am titling The War of the Jewels. Uh, which The War of the Jewels was uh, one of the sort of compendium books Christopher Tolkien put together to sort of explain all the happenings way, 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 thousands of years before The Lord of the Rings actually took place. Um, this is not an adaptation necessarily of The War of the Jewels in particular. It's just the name that fits the movie the best. Um, and the prologue here is pretty much adapted from the first two parts of the book, The Silmarillion, directly. The rest I might explain at another time. But if you remember in The Lord of the Rings, it's in the films it starts off with a montage of Galadriel explaining there were, you know, three rings for the elves, uh, seven for the dwarf lords, and nine for men who above all desire power. That sort of thing. Uh, I'm more or less trying to match that tone by creating a heavily, heavily abbreviated version of sort of the introductory myth of the Silmarillion. The thing that will give you the context you need to understand, like how in Lord of the Rings it's like, by the end of those first five minutes or so, uh, you know Sauron bad, Ring bad, Isildur douchebag, get that thing in, back into the mountain and burn it. Like, that's, that's kind of what this is supposed to be. So I'm going to read it. Uh, it is 10 pages of formatted movie script, and uh, I think it succinctly sums up what is an extremely complicated thing. Uh, if anybody thinks it makes no sense, please tell me, because I'm too close to this. I don't actually know. Laura, I expect to, to get some feedback from you, where you sort of nod along and just go like, it was, it was all right, you know, it was, it was what it was. I imagine that is exactly how Laura's going to react to this. Um, uh, saying that now so that when it does happen, I'm not humiliated. Lowering expectations, you know the game. So, these first ten pages, the prologue to a film I am titling The Silmarillion, colon, The War of the Jewels, um, it is narrated, uh, I've selected the character of Elrond for story reasons that will not really be disclosed at this point, but Elrond narrates this prehistoric myth, um, you're going to hear a lot of names because the script needs to carefully put all the right people in the right places. Here's really the only names that you have to know. Sorry this is such a long preamble. I know most of you have turned this off by now. Thank you for those who stuck around. Um, the names that you need to hang on to. Melkor. Feanor. Th those are kind of the only people for the context of this thing here that you really need to know about. Because um, there are going to be points where names kind of fly off here, uh, you know, real fast. Um, but Elrond is the only person talking. Uh, I, I, I guess I'll be doing my best Hugo Weaving impression. Uh, less of an impression, more of just an inspired by. Uh, but I am going to read to you this introduction uh, featuring uh, Elrond's narration and uh, my reading of the stage directions. Uh, also, if you haven't listened to movie scripts, it doesn't read quite like a novel. It specifies when cuts happen and camera moves happen. Um, and I am an amateur at this, so if any of you know how movie scripts actually work, feel free to, you know, rip shit at me on social media. It will only confuse all the people who don't listen to this show, so I really have nothing to lose. 
All right, well, that is 12 minutes. Laura is doing well. Baby Banana and Papa Charles are doing well. Uh, and the House Pod Instagram is going to have some stuff that I hope will keep fans of this show. And by that, I mean people who like Laura and tolerate me satiated. Um, and the moment I have more information from Laura, I will pass it on to you. As for you, Laura, here is the cursed promise I made you that is so much harder because you decided to torture me by having your baby earlier. That's right. I'm going to make this all about me because you're not here to, to stop me. Um, no, seriously, Laura, love you very much. Very happy for everything that's going on. Now for the audience, uh, please enjoy however long this read is going to take. Over black, superimpose, the Silmarillion. Before the time of hobbits, before the dominion of elves or fire of dragons, before mountains or oceans, there was music. An ethereal choir softly sings dissonant yet melodic music. Cut to outer space. An explosion of galactic light. Stars, nebulae, and galaxies streak across the blackness. The song of creation that wove the earth, the rocks, and the sea was sung by great spirits. <clears throat> spirits. The flight through the stars moves to dark, untextured terrain. The surface morphs into unlit mountains and oceans. The Valar descended from the heavenly void. Nine colored orbs of light descend to the surface. Upon reaching ground, each orb shifts to a humanoid form with unique size and style. Varda moves the stars in the sky. Ulmo draws rivers from oceans. Yavana sprouts forests, grass, and flowers. Manwe forms enormous eagles that fly away. Together they shaped the empty earth into a lush and wondrous place. But they were not alone. Led by Manwe, these four Valar stand with Orome the Hunter, Tulkus the Fighter, Aule the Craftsman, and Mandos of Fate. See, I wasn't kidding. There's a lot of names in this, and they're, they don't come back for a long time, so don't worry about it. All the Valar are standing together. That's what's important. The dissonant voice of Melkor, the most powerful Valar, wrote his own song, tearing down the works of his brothers and sisters. Melkor stands tall, facing the eight Valar as they eye him warily. He suddenly turns into a black spirit and flies past them. Zoom over the newly formed lands. Melkor crumbles mountains and boils rivers. As his spirit moves north, the land becomes more desolate. In jealousy and anger, Melkor built his own vision for the world. A realm of iron and flame, wrought by demons and malice. Against all else stood the realm of Angband. Flat ground violently sprouts up into three tall, sharp mountains called Thangorodrim. Dark spirits burrow caves into them. The surrounding area is covered with flowing lava and fiery pits leading into the dark tunnels of Angband below. Cut to black. Fade in. Exterior, Bay of Kuivienen, night. The camera slowly crosses the grass, trees, and water of a quiet bay, lit by blue luminescent plants and the starry sky. But the Valar would not stop their sacred task, for they were sent to craft a home for the firstborn of a new race. 
The elves. Extreme close-up. In the waters, the eyes of the first elf shoot open. Zoom out to show many naked elves in the water. They emerge from the bay, looking curiously at themselves and each other. Time fade. Exterior, Bay of Quivienen, night. Hundreds of nascent elves in simple clothing gather by the water with their leaders, Ingwei, Finway, and Elway Thingle. See? It doesn't stop. A light appears, and they all look towards it to see Orome riding a great steed, beckoning them to follow. Alone under the stars, the Valar led the elves west to a special haven of their making. Orome turns west, and the elves follow him through the woods. They look at their surroundings with awe. Fade to Exterior Forest Night Thingol, the brown-haired elf king, wanders the forests and finds Melian, a Maiar spirit, beautiful and ethereal. Her magics fill the forest with a soft blue light. Some fell in love with the forests and the waters of Middle-earth, and remained. They stand together in the forest, smiling. Cut to exterior shoreline in the morning. The Valar sail west with a fleet of elven ships behind them. The rest journeyed across the endless sea towards their new home. Kirden the shipwright remains on the shores with many other elves, fondly watching the ships depart. Fade to exterior Valinor shoreline day. The ships approach the shores of Valinor, a picturesque continent. Its skyline is dominated by forests, hills, and the high mountain Taniquetil. Valinor, the undying lands, a paradise for the immortal elves. The awestruck elves set foot on the shores and slowly wander. They step over the first hills and see a distant glen with two towering trees, one gold and one silver. The gold tree shines like sunlight, lighting up the entire continent. They thrived under the golden light of Telperion. Match fade to Valinor Night. At night, the silver tree shines like moonlight. A village of white stone is halfway constructed on the nearby hills. And the silver light of Laurelin. Match fade to exterior Tyrion day. The village of Tyrion is now complete. Push into the small, bustling town. Under the peaceful watch of the Valar, the elves grew their skill and craft. The camera moves through the town, past elves going about their days. Galadriel, a blonde elf woman, walks away from an open workshop where Feanor, this is the one I told you about, where Feanor, a tall and beautiful elf man, labors cutting jewels. Their finest craftsman was a smith and a jeweler. Feanor worked to capture the shining heart of the two trees, burning eternally in three brilliant jewels. Feanor stands up. A glow shines on his face from below the frame. He smiles with pride and satisfaction. Fade to exterior, Taniquetil, day. Feanor steps into the center of a huge open circular hall of marble stone atop the mountain. The two trees, Tyrion and the shoreline, are visible far below. He stands between the Valar and opens a box that holds three exquisite glowing jewels. These were called the Silmarils, the most enchanting creations in all of Valinor, and their legacy. The Valar look at the Silmarils, awestruck, fade to black. Would be its undoing. Fade in, exterior Valinor, sunrise. Laurelin's silver light fades and Telperion's gold light grows. 
Sounds like a Dr. Seuss line. The surrounding forests moved gently with the breeze. The light of the trees were a monument to the Valar's power. But Melkor hated most what he could not control. The trees rustle and black mist seeps through the canopy. Conspiring with the dark spirit Ungoliant, the undying lands came under attack. The forest begins collapsing in a straight line towards the two trees. Panned below the canopy, Melkor's black spirit moves quickly next to Ungoliant, a grotesque, massive spider. Melkor takes physical form and attacks the nearby elves. Ungoliant sinks her fangs into Telperion. It withers, and its light quickly fades. Cut to Exterior, Tyrion, Night. In the distance, the trees fade, shrivel, and collapse. Elves, Valar, and Maiar all rush out of Tyrion towards the trees as night quickly falls. Telperion and Laudalin were sapped of their hallowed light, plunging all the world into darkness. Pull out at Tyrion's edge. Bright light pours out of a small house. The black, ethereal form of Morgoth wisps over the town towards it. But Melkor was not content to destroy the trees, for their light still shone elsewhere. Cut to interior, Fanor's house, night. Finway, he's from before, Finway guards the Silmarils when Morgoth's spirit enters the house. Finway holds up his hands to cast spells in defense, but the spirit quickly overtakes him, cut to black. From that day... He would forever be named the Dark One. Fade in, exterior Feanor's house, night. Feanor rushes to his ruined home, steps over Finway's body, and inspects the Silmaril's box. It is empty. He becomes enraged and screams into the air, inaudible. Onlookers are terrified. The evil spirit, the father of lies and deceit. Cut to exterior shoreline night. Melkor's black spirit wisps over the ocean to the shores, carrying the Silmarils. He reaches land and slowly forms into a towering, jet-black figure with spindly hair. His name is Morgoth, and in the darkness he crowned himself king of all creation. The Silmarils levitate as he manifests a spiky iron crown on his head with three sockets. The jewels slot in perfectly. Cut to exterior Valinor shoreline night. Feanor is furious. He leads an angry mob of elves to the docks of Alqualonde, the town standing where the elves first arrived. Joined by his sons, Majros, Maglor, Kelgorm, and Kurufin. Again, names don't matter just yet. Joined by his sons, Feanor demands passage on the ships, inaudible. The dock workers refuse him. Feanor raged over the loss of the Silmarils and laid upon them a curse— a dark vow that he would reclaim them, no matter the cost. Feanor draws his sword and kills the worker. His followers join him in killing the dock workers and taking their ships. The kinslaying marked the first death of elves by their own kind, a tragedy that would not be forgotten. Feanor and his followers sail away. Fade 2, exterior Valinor shoreline, night. The Valar looks sadly upon the dead bodies and ruined ships. They sternly watch groups of other elves sail away. The Valar would not abide the sins of Feanor and sought to rid the undying lands of Morgoth's corruption. Well, my accent took a weird turn. Galadriel sails east over the sea with Fingolfin and Finrod and many others. 
They three watch sadly as the waters and storms swirl behind them, obscuring Valinor from their sight. Thus was Valinor... <clears throat> Thus was Valinor hidden from the elves. They were cast out, never to return. Fade two, map of Beleriand. Pan the camera... Uh, <laughs> panning... The camera moves over an empty parchment map of Beleriand, western Middle-earth. The camera begins at the western shore where the exiled elves landed and pans inland. I gotta rework that paragraph. Without guidance, the elves settled in the forests and the plains. Locations are scribbled... Locations are scribbled onto the map, seemingly by an invisible pen. Their names and illustrations reflecting each kingdom or region. Nargothrond, Nargothrond, Brethil, Doriath, Dorlomin, the Hithlum, the Angfauglith, and Angband. Those are places, not people. I'm telling you, the names never stop being confusing. New kingdoms rose across Beleriand. But in the north, the camera hovers over Angband in the far north, drawn on the map as the, th the three mountains of Thangorodrim. Angband's shadow grew. <coughs> <coughs> Angband's shadow grew, grew, grew? Can't say grew, can I? New kingdoms rose across Beleriand, but in the north, Angband's shadow grew. That's the best you're going to get, folks. Fade 2. Exterior Thangorodrim, night. The mountains on the map fade to the real Thangorodrim. The camera pushes into the iron gateway and through the dark tunnels of Angband. Moving to Angband, night, interior. In deep, dark rooms with fiery pits, dozens of elves are tortured by trolls, demons, and heat. Their skin turns ashen, and their backs become hunched. Deep in the hells of iron and flame, elves were captured and enslaved, twisted into ravenous, pitiful creatures. The newly bred orcs climb out of the torture pits, and they swarm the halls of Angband. Denied the power of creation, the Dark Lord sought to corrupt Beleriand and bend it to his will. Cut to exterior, Angfauglith night. Uh, the Angfauglith is a desert surrounding, or a, a desert like right next to Angband and Thangorodrim. Feanor leads an army of elves, including Fingolfin, Finrod, and his seven sons. Against them marches an army of orcs and trolls. Thangorodrim looms in the distance. The elves united against Morgoth, under the towering peaks of Thangorodrim, many fought for freedom. Morgoth, 20 feet tall, steps over a hill and into the battle, wearing iron armor and his Silmarillion crown. Feanor sees the jewels and becomes enraged. He rushes at Morgoth. Others fought for revenge. Morgoth strikes Feanor with his hammer. The elf goes flying. Feanor's sons defend him, dragging him out of the battle. Cut to exterior Angfaugalith hilltop night. Feanor's sons rest him on a nearby hill overlooking the battle. Barely breathing, he glares angrily at Morgoth and mutters inaudibly. In his rage, he combusts, turning into embers carried away by the wind. The dude straight up spontaneously combusted out of anger. That shit is so metal. That's straight out of the books. With his dying breath, with his dying breath, Feanor swore his sons to retrieve the Silmarils, and to kill anyone that would stand in their way. Maedros and his six brothers glare angrily at Morgoth. The camera flies forward from the hill and over the desert. 
For hundreds of years, the elves sieged Angband as Morgoth wielded the power of the jewels against them. Fade 2, exterior Thangorodrim, day. The land around Thangorodrim is covered with even bigger armies. For the first time, the sun hangs low in the sky. But with the first rising of the sun came a new age of light and courage. Elves would no longer fight the darkness alone. For now was come the age of men. Superimpose the War of the Jewels. That's it. So, Laura, if I have done a good job, uh, cool, thanks. If I've done a bad job, you are welcome for my humiliation. Um, I will still be putting out something at the very least on the first Monday of next month. Um, Laura will likely not be joining me. Uh, we will see what happens. Uh, but um, there will be something. And if Laura does not join me, I will be sure to get uh, some more content uh, from her. And by content, I mean, you know, <laughs> her life. She's not a content machine. She's a human with another human, with two other humans. One of them legally her i guess bothly i don't know how it works she has a lot of humans in there but anyway uh we're doing we're having a we're still having a good time being friends that was my proposed introduction for a silmarillion film trilogy that's a hell of a fucking sentence um so thank you for those of you who stuck around for uh, this 30 minutes of me rambling, uh, it is appreciated. Uh, honestly, if you do like this Silmarillion project, show it to some other folks. I'm not lying here. I'm kind of looking for feedback on it, because even if this goes absolutely nowhere in life, it's a thing I like to do, and I'm very grateful. I have a friend like Laura who supports me as much as she does, even though it's kind of a stupid hobby. So thank you very much, uh, Laura. I'm glad you're doing well. And uh, listeners... I will talk to you soon. How You Doing is a Common Geeking Program production starring Laura Becker and Colin Ketchen with editing and original music by Colin. You can learn all about the show at the website podfriend.pizza. It has everything you need to listen and to learn about the pod friends themselves, and it's an easy place for new listeners to jump on board. If you enjoy the podcast, reviews and ratings are the best way to show it. Tell a friend, share your favorite episodes, and remember to subscribe so you don't miss a thing. We'll talk to you again the first Monday of every month, so be sure to stay in touch. Thanks for listening. Talk to you soon. Come and